You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. We're currently in a series called The Church, who God has called and created us to be. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmontrose.com. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We, we just started last week a new sermon series that we creatively titled The Church, um, which is all about the church, oddly enough. And so um, what, we, what we're trying really to do is, is to establish for ourselves um, what it means for us to be the people of God and, and what, it, what the people of God do. What, is that, what does that look like? What are the, sort of the foundations for some of the things that, that we see in the church, like maybe church leadership or membership or uh, you know, what sort of sacraments do we observe and all, all those different kinds of things. But first and foremost, what we've been seeking to do these first three weeks is to understand how it is really that we are brought together um, by God as the people of God. And so last week, what we talked about was this idea that, that we are the people of God. We saw that really um, the, the continual sort of intent of God in the Bible was to have a people to himself, a people to whom he revealed himself and a people through whom he reveals himself to the world. And so we saw that not only in, in sort of Genesis chapter one, where he creates man, man and woman, but we see that really all throughout the narrative of the Bible in calling to himself Abraham and calling to himself Moses and the, this nation, the nation of Israel. But then we arrived really at this point in the scriptures in 1 Peter where it tells us that once we were not a people, but now we are a people. And that what differentiates us or that what distinguishes us or that what establishes us as that people is the fact that once we had not received mercy, but that now we have received mercy. And so we talked about this idea of, of really being the people of God, of understanding that, that we're a part of that continuing storyline, that God's purposes, that his intents have not changed and they will not be thwarted, that what God decrees comes to pass. And so if he says he will have a people, then he will have a people. And today what we want to do is we really want to delve into what it, what it, means, like, or what it means to be now the, the church of Christ and how we're established, how we're built, how we're founded, how we're grown by the person and work 
of Jesus. And so that's where we're um, going this morning. And there's really three things that we'd like to see or take away from this text um, in, in Ephesians. And so the sermon is entitled The Church of Christ. So last week was the people of God. Today we're talking about the church of Christ. And the three things that we're going to look at is that we are or the church of Christ is built on Christ. That's the first point. The second one, it's joined together in Christ. And the third thing, it's grown by Christ. And so here's what we're going to do. We're, we're kind of jumping around in, in texts all throughout this series. And so we need to set up Ephesians just a little bit. Ephesians is a letter that a, that a man named Paul writes to a church, really a group of churches um, in, in and around Ephesus. Just, a, just an ancient city. And what, what Paul is doing is, is ultimately writing to them to help them to be established. This is the, this is the beginning of the church. This is really, um, you know, fairly soon after uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so what he's doing is giving them a foundation, a doctrine, something really to, to claim to identify themselves by. And so um, what Paul is going to do here is is really, really simple. It's really, really simple. And really, much of Paul's writing is, is simple, and I think it's, it's beautiful in that sense. But in chapter 1 of, of Ephesians, just so that we kind of arrive at chapter 2 in a good place, chapter 1, he just reminds them of all of the spiritual blessings that are theirs in Christ, right? So he's, he's writing to a church. He's writing to a group of people that, have, that once were not a people, but now are a people, and he's writing to a people really that is comprised of people who have had differences over long periods of time, chiefly two groups. So uh, the Jews, meaning the people that were descended from the nation of Israel, and then the Gentiles, the people that were just sort of outsiders um, to that nation for many, many years. And what, and what he's doing is he is writing to them in order that they might be unified, that they might actually come together as the church of Christ. And so what he does in, in chapter one, he writes things like this, that beloved in him, we have redemption through his blood. So he's talking again to, to two different groups of people that have been brought together by this work of Jesus. Beloved in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And here, this is verse 10 in chapter 1. He says this, As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so what, what Paul is doing in chapter 1 is he is reminding this people of their identity. He's reminding them of what it is that has brought them together. Because as we all know, anytime you get around the same amount of people for a long enough amount of time, there are things that you begin to discover that you maybe don't like or are, or are uncomfortable with in that other person. And when the relationship is new, it's nice, it's fun, you're sort of in that what we would call the honeymoon phase, everything's good. But the church at this point in Ephesus is old enough, far enough along now that people are starting to grade on one another. And what he's doing is he's reminding them of their identity in Christ. He's reminding them that it's, it's all of us that have been forgiven, that whose trespasses have been passed over because of the blood of Jesus. And then he says that this is all according to plan. It's according to the plan of God to unite all things together in what? In in Christ, that, me, that we might be united 
in Christ. And so then what he does, uh, the beginning of chapter two is really all about um, sort of explaining how it is that we came upon this grace, right? So he talks about what Jesus has done for this people, this group of people who have lots of different things in common, but also lots of things that they have nothing in common. And he says, look, what, what defines you is that you, you were all children of wrath. Right? He, that you were all lost, that you were all in darkness. But then it says, it's, our, it's one of our favorite verses, right? Ephesians chapter 2, I think it's verse 4. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive in Christ. And so he's talking again to both groups of people and he's saying, look, God has made you alive together in Christ and it's by grace through faith, not of works, so that none can boast. So he's saying, look, you guys are bound together by something that you could not earn. You guys are bound together by something that has been given to you by grace through faith. And it's not just the grace sort of coupled with your faith that, that, that gives you this, this mercy, but that it's the grace and the faith that have been given to you. And that you guys are now united underneath this, this new banner. And so then we arrive at chapter 2, verse 11, and he uses this word that says, therefore, right? So that means because of those things, here's what, here's what should or here's what could happen. That if we lived into our, our identity in Christ, that here's what could and should happen in the church of Christ. Meaning this is the people that, that we should be. And so, again, he's, he's talking to these two groups of people, right? So, uh, Verse 11, he says, remember that at one time you the Gentiles, right? So he's talking to that first group. He says, you the Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the promise. And then he talks to the Jew, right? He says that he himself is our peace. Verse 14, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. This is, this is, this is what Paul is saying. He's like, look, there... There are going to be all kinds of people that are going to be united in this church of Christ under one thing, and that is, that is Christ. That is himself, that he himself is our peace, that it is him that actually draws us together. That the church really and truly is the, the church of Christ. So we're not only the people of God, we're not only sort of this, this continuation of the promise, we're not only sort of the, the continuation of this decree that God has said would come to pass, which is that he would have a people but that we are the church of Christ, that it's in him that we have our hope, that it's in him that we have our peace, and that it's in him that we will have our unity. And so, um, where's the proof of this unity? In, in verse 18, he says this, or let's, let's take 17. It says, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So, Gentile, Jew, slave, free, white, black, no matter what other sort of distinction that you would want to put in between two people, any sort of barrier that one could erect in between two people, Paul is telling us is eradicated by the grace and mercy of Jesus in the gospel. That the church is a place where those things come crumbling down. And here's what's really beautiful about this, that 
we all have the same access in the same way under the same terms, but although this access was procured for us by Jesus, Jesus doesn't simply die to open up access, right? So it's not just, okay, Jesus sort of opened the door and now we have to walk through it or that we have to walk through it and then sort of present our case to God because in the next verse, what is it that he says? He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So again, Paul is telling this people, it's in Jesus that you have been redeemed. It's in Jesus that you have been set free from your bondage, your slavery to sin and to death. It's in Jesus that you've been shown mercy. It's in Jesus that you are now one people together. And it's in Jesus that you have access to the Father, but it's also in Jesus that I introduce you to the Father. Not, not just as someone who has access, but as someone who is a member, as someone who is a saint, as someone who is a member of the household of God. So that Jesus not only died for our access to God, but he died for our favor in God's sight. And it's, and it's with this, with this in mind now that we're gonna proceed into this, this wonderful truth um, in, in verse 20 that says this, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So here's where we're going. The first point, we're built, we're built upon Christ, right? So the church is the people of God united in Christ and it's built on him. This people is built on Christ. The whole church rests on the person and work of Jesus, so this is why, you know, we say every week, this is why every week somebody, whether it's Reed or somebody else, gets up here and says, at Sojourn, we are all about Jesus. Because the people of God, the church of Christ, is built on him. It's built on him as the chief cornerstone. We say it every week, but here's the thing. If we're honest with ourselves, we are a forgetful people. We need to be reminded. In fact, that's really the chief aim of this entire letter. See, Paul has already been to Ephesus. He's already preached the gospel. They, knew, they know who they are in Christ. But he writes this letter because they need to be reminded. They need to be reminded because in being reminded, they will live into the truth that has been spoken over them in the gospel and the grace of Jesus. And so we're going to say every week that we're all about Jesus because we need to be reminded that that is what draws us here together, that that is what builds the church of Christ, that is the foundation upon which it lays. You see, Ephesians 2.20 uses, uses this word cornerstone. It uses this word cornerstone, and although in, in sort of contemporary building or contemporary uh, you know, architecture, it's usually just kind of a brick, maybe with some mementos, you know, somebody will inscribe something cute or pretty on it, and it's, just, it's, it's really just kind of there for posterity. Like it's there for decoration and sort of for well-wishing. Like this is, this is the cornerstone. But, but in, in ancient like masonry, when they actually built you know, buildings back then or pyramids or whatever you want to look at, the cornerstone was the first thing it was what determined the entire course of the building. It determined which way it would face. It determined how strong it would be. It, would determine, it determined everything. And so when Paul says that Jesus is the cornerstone of his people, of his body, the church, what he's not saying is that this is sort of someone we pay tribute to and say, okay, this is good, but then we go about sort of building the rest of the structure but that the structure is, is literally dependent, built upon, defined by, structured by the person 
and the work of Jesus. It's the, it's the brick with which the builder lined up the whole building. So God is, God is building for himself this people that he's promised he would always do. That's always been his intent. And he's chosen Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of that building, the foundation upon which he will build his church, his people. And so here's, here's the thing. There's, there's a lot of people, I think, um, in, in, in sort of the Christian circle today that are looking for maybe something that is new or that is fresh or that is deeper or wider than sort of what, what they can already begin to comprehend or understand. But brothers and sisters, the, as simple as it may sound, that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, we, we would have a lot healthier churches if we actually believed this if we actually lived like this was true, if we actually began to operate in the church as though Jesus was the foundation of the church, if we began to remember, if we began to remind ourselves that what draws us together is not the fact that we like sort of maybe the logo that Sojourn has or a certain way that we express truth, but that what draws us together is Jesus and that Jesus is a person and that Jesus is a person who has come and made himself known to you and that he has proclaimed over your life acceptance, grace, mercy, righteousness, a righteousness that was not yours, but that was his, that he gave to you. That if that, if that is what draws a people together, then, then the, the, the longevity of the church no longer becomes a question. Right? So for, for all of the sort of fear in modern day sort of evangelical Christianity in, in America that the church is dying and that the church is sort of falling away and falling apart or, or things like that. Look, if we're, if we're being built on this foundation, it's not going anywhere. This foundation is not going anywhere. This building is not going anywhere. But when we begin to think that the church is characterized more so by sort of the, the, the gathering space that it meets in or by the people that attend it rather than the, the person who has established it by his blood, it's, it's at that moment that the, the, the church really does begin to crumble because that's the cornerstone. And if you take out the cornerstone, the whole thing falls apart. It's, it's, the, it's the foundation. It's what all of it rests upon. If we lose this, if we lose our identity in Jesus, if we lose the truth that we are brought together by the person and work of Jesus on the cross, on our behalf, if we lose that, then we might as well just quit because we become nothing more than just a social club. We become nothing more than a people that sort of have a common interest, but will still be burdened by the things that, that differentiate us, the things that, that we think are, are sort of integral, integral to our, our human relationships, whether it's age or affinity or a certain paycheck amount or whatever it might be. Now, see, the, the people of God are a radically different people that have been radically brought together by a radical truth. And that is that the person and work of Jesus is all that they have and all that they need all at the same time. And so the, the church of Christ is built on the person and work of Jesus. 
We're also joined together in Christ. So Christ being the cornerstone, everything depends on our union with him. The apostle goes on to say as much in the beginning of of verse 21 when he says this, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So here's the thing. Ephesians, really, the the phrase that repeats itself all throughout the book is this idea of being in Christ, that we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ, that we've been raised in Christ, that we are like Christ, that that we are in him, in his body, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. And so what what Paul is saying here is that we're not only built on Christ, but that it's in Christ that we are joined together, that we are actually knitted together in what he has done for us, that by virtue of being in Christ, we are also in one another. So that those two things are not things that can be separated. Those are two things that cannot be disjointed because in Christ they are joined. And so if I can take just some liberty with this illustration, Jesus is not only the cornerstone, but he's the mortar that joins us together. Being in Christ necessarily joins us together to him, and he is necessarily joined to his people. There there are other, other sort of metaphors in the Bible, other illustrations that are written that the church is the body of Christ and that he is the head of his church, the head of the body, that he leads it, that he guides it. And so here's the thing, if, if we're in Christ, if we're in the body of Christ, you are necessarily joined to him and to others. And so here's again what we have to begin to understand. It's, it's not so much about which church you attend. It's not so much about uh, what logo is on the door. It's not so much about who's preaching. But what it is about is that it is a people who are, are, are being built on the foundation of Jesus and who are being joined together in Jesus. A people who are choosing to identify with one another, much less based on, again, what differentiates them and much more based on what has holistically taken their lives. Because the gospel tells us that we were dead, but that we've been made alive in Christ. And that in Christ, we've been brought into this structure for which he is the cornerstone. A structure that he is joining us together in, and a structure that he is building us to be completed. And so again, what what God decrees comes to pass We see this. This is the continuation of everything that God said he would do from the beginning, that he would have a people to himself, both to whom and through whom he reveals himself. And here's the thing, the the people of God, the church of Christ, will be a people to whom God reveals himself and through whom God reveals himself when they are built on the foundation of Jesus and when they are joined together in the person and work of Jesus in their own individual lives. So here's the thing. Salvation is is sort of first and primarily experienced in an individual sense, most likely, in the sense that you heard the truth, right? And, And that in hearing the truth, you called upon the name of Jesus, you believed in him and were saved, as Romans would say but that it does not leave us in an individual state to sort of discover what it means to follow Jesus in isolation, but that it brings us into, again, into his people. You see, Jesus Jesus doesn't bring living stones to sort of sit out on the side to use later. 
right? We read in 1 Peter that we are, we are now all like living stones being built together into a temple. So again, when God gives grace, when God gives salvation, he not only saves you from something, he saves you into something. And that, it is, that is his body, it's his, it's his church, it's the people of God. So we're joined together in Christ. So Jesus is not only the cornerstone that we're built upon, he's not only what joins and sustains the structure, but he's the one who carries it on to completion, right? Verse, end of verse 21 and verse 22 says this, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So when a church is built on Jesus, when it's joined together by Jesus, it grows by the grace of Jesus. So here's the thing, it doesn't, you're going to start to think maybe that I'm getting wacky here in terms of like, you know, we need to have this church be a certain size or that there needs to be a certain amount of people or it needs to grow at a certain rate or that things need to happen in in sort of a, a sequence of events. That's not what I'm trying to say. But the church of Christ will grow when it's built on Christ and when it's joined together in Christ. Because, because that's the way that he's ordained it to be. Because he's chosen, again, to have for himself a people. And he's declared that it would be true. He declared that in the Old Testament. He's declared it in the New. And what God decrees comes to pass. The temple that he is building, this people that he is joining together, the church of Christ will be completed. So here's the thing, a a lot of us, again, we tend to look at maybe sort of the state of, of the church in the world today with despair. And yet what Paul has done all throughout the book of Ephesians is reminded us that, look, look at what God has done for you in Christ. In him, you have every spiritual blessing, redemption through his blood, by grace through faith, not of works, so that none can boast. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. You see, what what God decrees comes to pass. What he says he will do, he will do. And so when he says in verse 21 that he's going to join us together in Christ as a structure, that he's going to build us together as a holy temple in the Lord, Like, those things are going to happen. And so our choice as Christians is not so much whether or not we want to be a part of it, it's are we going to surrender to God in the fullness of that sense and be joined to his body, the church? You see, we have a lot of people, we have a lot of people in in sort of the, the contemporary Christian realm today that would consider themselves a Christian, but don't want to live into, they love the by grace through faith part, they're not so much into the join together part. Because so much of the New Testament, so much of these letters that Paul writes to Christians are filled with things like forgive one another, bear with one another, be patient with one another. Right? Which which really necessitates or sort of presupposes that we will offend one another that we will be needy of each other's patience. But here's the thing. God is going to build for himself a people, a people to whom and through whom he reveals himself, and he's going to perfect them. 
And this temple is not going to be a temple that fades or that passes away. So just like your inheritance is laid up for you in heaven, a place where neither thief can steal nor moth can destroy, in the same way, this temple is a temple that is being established that no one can destroy and that cannot be removed apart from the will of God Himself. And what He decrees comes to pass. What He decrees comes to pass. So here's the thing. The, the growth of the church, as we talk about this idea of being grown by Christ as a people, not just individually in that we sort of grow to be more Christ-like, but as a people that we grow not only in number, but in depth of understanding of the person and work of Jesus. All of that is done not by human hands, but by Jesus. Again, so our temptation is to sort of rally around these these people, sort of uh, these men that maybe preach with a certain amount of gifting or, or are able to understand the Word of God with great clarity and to deliver it as such. And we like to podcast them and we like to watch sort of their videos and things like that. And not that any of that is bad, but look, the church is not built on them. You are not a part of a church by, by podcasting a sermon. You are, you're not being joined together with the people of God. You're not being built on the foundation of Jesus Christ by simply listening to a sermon online. Now look, I know that there's a lot of people that are better preachers than I am. But it does not exempt you, if you're, if you're a member at Sojourn, from jumping into the body, serving the body, being, being a part of this people. It doesn't exempt you from that. And if, you're, and if you're not a member here, or if you're sort of looking for a church, it doesn't exempt you from finding a place. It doesn't exempt you from stepping into a community knowing that it's going to be imperfect, but knowing that by God's grace it will be perfected by Jesus, not by you and not by the preacher. Guys, that's, that's glorious hope. That's what allows this whole thing to, to exist and to be established in the way that it's existing and being established. Look, if, if, if sojourn is built on anything else, if it is joined together by anything else, if it is grown by anything else, then we're, we're building a building which is not what Christ set out to build. Look, I don't know about you, but I want to join in that which is permanent. Not in some kingdom that, that sort of uh, ratifies or justifies my existence. And so here's what, here's what we want to do, uh, just to bring this all sort of to, to a conclusion, one, but then also to give us some things that we can actually act upon. Um, the church is the church of Christ. It, it consists of those whom he, in whom he dwells by his spirit. To be alien from the church, therefore, is to be alien from God. It is to be without Christ and without hope. The church of which this is said is not to be the nominal, the external, visible church, but the true people of God. So here's the thing. You've, again, we are being built together on the foundation of Jesus, not on the foundation of sojourn, not on the foundation of Marshall preaches decently, or the people are, are nice there, or they're, whatever it might be. And we're being joined together again, not by, man, the music is, is really kind of good and I can, I can get into it. I enjoy this style. Or, man, I really, I really like the way these people talk. I like the way they hold their convictions. But that we're being joined together by Jesus, by his person, by his work, by what he's done for us. 
and that we are being grown by Jesus so that we can have confidence in that and not have to sort of rest in or, or feel this pressure to sort of fabricate maybe a, a, a certain amount of numbers or a certain amount of people that get baptized or, or whatever it might be that, that sort of makes your conscience feel good about where this church is going. No, we're being, we're being built on Jesus. We're being joined together by Jesus and we're being grown by Jesus. And so we're going to take that in whatever way he chooses to express that to us. And we're going to grow to whatever measure he chooses to grow us. If that's as many as are in this room right now, from here till kingdom come, that's fine. So here, here's what I would tell you to do. Just if you, you know, if you're kind of like, okay, we've, we've, we've gotten through the conceptual part. Will you just tell me what I need to do? If you're that kind of person who's like real pragmatic, um, here's the first thing I would tell you to do. In light of, in light of this truth, in light of, if you, and so I'm speaking to, a, to Christians in the room. So if you're not a Christian, um, this isn't for you. Um, but if you are a Christian in the room, join a local church. Join a local church, any church, right? So what I'm, what I'm not telling you is you need to join here. But what I'm telling you is you need to be a part of a community, the church of Christ. Because that's what Christ came to establish. That's what Christ came to build. And that's what Christ will complete, is the church. So join it. Join, join a local church. Second thing I would tell you to do is to get into, in, get into community. And so here's the thing. If you, you know, I, I'm kind of using this entire series, just so you know, as, as a plug for our neighborhood parishes. And I get to do that because I have the microphone and you don't. Um, so join a neighborhood parish. Right? Again, the, the, the people of God is not something that exists just for an hour on a Sunday, but the people of God goes on existing no matter if this thing blows up tomorrow. Right? Like if this building burned down tomorrow, would sojourn still exist? Yes, it would. If we were to, to lose this particular person who happens to preach, would sojourn still exist? Would it still be the people of God? Absolutely. Would it still be the church of Christ, founded upon Christ, joined by Christ, built by Christ? Absolutely it would. Absolutely it would. And so here's the thing. We cannot limit sort of our intake of the body or, or our, um, our, our sort of desire um, to be joined with the body to, to one particular moment on a Sunday when you don't happen to be on vacation or doing something else that you just enjoy more but that, that you would rally around, again, your chief identity, which is no longer what you would consider or what the world would sort of consider your identity, which may be that you're a doctor or that you drive a certain car or that you're married to a certain person, but that your chief identity is in Christ Jesus and that by virtue of that, you are joined to his people. So get into community. Get into, if you go to another church, get into a small group, whatever it is that they call it. It doesn't matter. Third thing I would tell you to do is to pray for your church and the whole church. So pray for God's continued favor and work in your church and in the whole church universal. In doing so, what we do is we join with Jesus in his prayer, right? Because we see him in John 17 praying for his people, the people that the, that the Father had given to him. We join with Jesus. When we pray for the local church, when we pray for our local church, not only, not, there, there's several things that happen in that transaction. Number one, we begin to live into our, our identity and our understanding that we belong to a people. But then also, we, uh, our, our hearts, our affections really begin to change for those people. 
right? Because we, de- we desire for them what is best for them spiritually, not just sort of in a general well-wishing sense, but that we desire what is best for them in that they grow into maturity in Christ. And there's a, there's a fondness that's built there. So that, that helps sort of overcome some of these differences that maybe we would um, tend to separate by. But then the third thing that it does, and the most important thing that it does, is that it joins us together with Jesus in saying, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. The world becomes a lot less about you and a lot more about what it is that God is not only currently accomplishing, but will finally and fully accomplish in and through the person and work of Jesus. And so... As a final admonition, this is, this is just sort of, if we could wrap up all of this into, into sort of one or two sentences, right? The, the church is the people of God, a people to whom and through whom he has revealed himself. And it's the church of Christ being built upon him, being joined together in him and being grown by him. And so give yourself to what Jesus gave himself for. Give yourself to what Jesus gave himself for. Give yourself to that which is eternal. Give yourself to that which does not fade or perish. Give yourself to that which is certain to come to pass. Because here's the the thing. In in the church, we we are plagued with we are plagued with this sort of pursuit for for things that, that ultimately will not last that ultimately God has not spoken over these things will come to pass. But what he has spoken over that will come to pass is the church, the people of God that you've been united to by his grace, that you've been born into by faith, by grace, because of what Jesus has done, and that you share that with with us together in such a way that is so incredibly above and beyond anything that you could possibly want or desire and that will last so much longer than anything that you could possibly obtain or acquire. That this is what you find yourself in if you're a Christian. Like so when we, when we call you to join the church, so when we call you, when we do things like covenant membership, when we do things, when we begin to talk about really all of sort of the the external things about the church in the coming weeks, all of the things that we do, all of those things proceed out of who we are first. So it's from an identity. It's from a secure position in Christ that we move forward into what Christ has called us to do and be, and that is to be his people, the church. Let's pray.